Hello, and uh, welcome to Monday Morning Boilers, a podcast, a father and son podcast between uh, one lifelong Purdue fan and one who has uh, 20 plus years or so. My name's Connor. I am the, uh, the the son in the equation, the lifelong Purdue fan. My father is uh, Chris. Uh, Chris, say hello. Hello. How's everyone doing? Uh, thank you for uh, tuning in and, and listening to our inaugural episode of Monday Morning Boilers. Uh, this is just going to be a podcast that is, is going to kind of talk about uh, football and basketball primarily. Uh, you know, we're both you know, fans who watch just about every game and, and try to stay plugged into uh, Purdue athletics, like a lot of people out there. And uh, you know, we're we're two guys who we just are going to kind of talk about the game, what we see, our thoughts, our opinions. Uh, it doesn't mean that it's right, but uh, you know, we do have a little bit of of knowledge. And you know, you obviously coached various levels basketball um, for a long time. While I was growing up, uh, Purdue fans would be very excited to know that he was on the coaching staff of Chris Kramer's high school team. And, uh, of course, you know, Chris is a uh, – Kramer's a, a folk hero in, in Purdue basketball lore. Yeah, I was uh, essentially a, a very good assistant coach at the high school and college levels and a less than great head coach in a short stint at a high school, to be completely candid and honest. Yeah, well, but I mean, you look at like ESPN, Fox, CBS, always the best analysts are the failed head coaches. Don't put the failed moniker on me, but yeah. Okay, well, Anyways, right, I know, I know a little bit about the game. Yeah. And I yeah. coached some golf too. And, and, and thoroughly enjoyed that and loved it. But competition is competition and athletes and kids are kids and athletes. I mean, it all translates. So. Right, and you do. You had a year of uh, collegiate experience. Um, Actually, three, three years. Uh, yeah. One level at yeah. division. Uh, one year at Division One. Yeah, so I was at Ball State for a year with the women's program, and then I spent two years with an NAIA program over in Illinois, in Juliet, St. Francis, uh, a long time ago. And then I did fifteen years or so high school ranks. Yeah, so he. I mean, obviously, he has a little bit of understanding, and th- and this, you know. Once we get into basketball season, we're going to touch on basketball a little bit uh, in this episode. But once we get into basketball season, you know, obviously I'm biased being his son. But, you know, when when he talks about basketball, he's got a level of understanding that, you know, it's me. He's, he's, no, he's not an expert by any means, but, you know, he, he does kind of know what he's talking about. He's not just yeah, yelling is, nonsense at people. Uh, no, I mean, this is basically two fans talking about program that they love. And it's just what I mean. What are we doing? We're basically recording our telephone conversation we have every week. So, yeah, yeah, pretty yeah. much. That's that's pretty yeah. much what we're, you know we're gonna do here, and and hopefully people will enjoy it. And if not, at the very least, you and I are gonna be entertained by it, and that's that's really <laughs> what this is about, right? It's yeah, there you go. About, not about just the listeners. Obviously, you know, we won't be opposed if people enjoy it, and we hope that we uh, we're entertaining and we make some points that that people enjoy but if they don't that's okay there's a lot of other options out there you know you don't have to pay for a subscription right. we appreciate well, you listening and uh, we're going to try to push out the podcast on uh we're going to try to record sunday nights each week uh recap especially with football it's a little easier obviously with games being played on saturday recap football uh you know have it out by monday morning hence the name monday morning boilers uh, we try to have it out for people's morning commute lunch coming back from work doing whatever you're doing uh, we're we're going to try to put it on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud. If you're listening and there's another platform that we're not putting it out on, please feel free to you know reach out, leave a 
leave a comment someplace and and we're gonna have a Twitter account and a Facebook page that we're gonna we're gonna put up with this episode. You know, please feel free to, to reach out and, and say, Hey, you know, it would be great if you could get on this platform. You know, we're more than happy to kinda we're doing this for the first time really. So we're you know, we're willing to listen to people that are listening and, and take suggestions. So then I guess I mean, obviously we've kinda gone into your background, my background. Mm-hmm. Um I mean Grew up. I'm a, I'm a fourth generation Purdue Boilermaker. I just graduated in May. I, um, you know, I, some of my earliest memories are in Ross Aid, watching Kyle Wharton play football. Um, you know, I, I can still very vividly picture where I was when he rolled out against Wisconsin and got upended and fumbled the ball, and the Joe Tiller era kind of peaked at that exact point in time. Man, you um, got to bring that up, don't you? Well, I mean, you have. I mean, I have to. Yeah, we're, we're going to, you know, that happened. It happened. I remember that. You know, I was probably eight at the time, but, you know, that I do remember that. I also remember a lot of the good, good moments, too. Um, you know, some I remember the Ryan Kerrigan game pretty fondly when they beat Terrell Pryor in Ohio State uh, at Ross Aid. You know, that was a fun game to be at. So there have been some good experiences and, and some bad for me. Uh, just judging from the fact I spent the three years, three of the four years I was in school, Daryl Hazel was here. There's been a lot of bad football. Yeah, we've been out in the wilderness for a while, but I think we're coming back. Yeah, I think, you know, last year, obviously, I think a lot of people were surprised, you know, by what Jeff Brom was able to do with, you know, a veteran senior defense and some guys that were upperclassmen who had never really been contributing factors making plays. And I think that a lot of people were, were surprised, but we'll get into that a little bit. Uh, so uh, with introductions kind of getting done, uh, let's just jump into the Boston College game. I think that this was a game that shocked a ton of people, uh, not only within the Purdue fan base and Boston College, but just nationally. You know, I think that you and I had talked about it leading up to it. We really we felt like Purdue matched up well against Boston College, but I don't think anybody saw a, a dominating performance, especially on the defensive side of the ball. No, I mean, the defense, to me, they were, I mean, they were stellar. You look at coming into this thing, BC, right, was a heavy run team. You know, uh, Dylan, they averaged, what, eight yards a game? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's looking like an All-American, and you know, Purdue's defense holds them to 15 attempts and five yards in the first half, give up 85 on the game. And in the, yeah. the interior, those guys in the interior, Connor, they were, they were great. I mean, Neil, uh, Watts, you know, Keywan Jones, those guys all made plays and they stood guys up at the line, which allowed, I mean, I think Marcus, Marcus Bailey is up with like 10 solo tackles or something, right? Barnes yeah. played a great game. The defense was just all world and, to me, what it did is it forced BC to have to go to offensively go to a mode that they're not comfortable in, and that was you know throwing the ball, and it clearly was not their strength. Yeah. Um, so credit to Coach Holt and the defense, man. I, they're the story of the game. Yeah, and I, I mean, you talked about Marcus Bailey having ten solo tackles, but the one is I'm looking at the the defensive stats that jumps out to me is. Jacob Thinneman has four solo tackles, a sack, and two tackles for loss as a safety. And I think that that was the biggest difference between yesterday's game and the three games previous was that they were able to get a pass rush, whether it was bringing linebackers, you know, Cornell Jones, Marcus Bailey, 
or Jacob Thinneman coming out of the safety position. But they were just able to do some things schematically. I thought that Nick Holt did a phenomenal job of, of calling a game against a, a really good offense. And if you haven't watched Boston College play outside of yesterday, I mean, A.J. Dillon is a guy who's going to, to be an NFL running back and, and was a dark horse Heisman contender coming into the, the year. And he had 19 carries for 59 yards. That's 3.1 yards a carry. His longest run was 11 yards. I mean, they held that running game in check. Yeah, and then they made—I mean, they made Anthony Brown look human, right? He was rolling yeah. off uh, five touchdown passes, right, per, mm-hmm. per game. He threw his four picks. We we switched to a four-man front, though, right, for this game, which is a little yeah. bit of a change. And yes. so that—I mean, obviously that had an impact from a, a strategic standpoint, but. We got pressure on the passer. Made him uncomfortable. Made him try to do some things. And then, hey, let's be honest. Kenny Major had a great game. So did Antonio Blackman, quite frankly. And those are guys that have been picked on a little bit in the in the previous three games. Yeah, they played. Yeah, they played great. They played really good. They really yeah. did. Yeah, I mean the secondary did a really nice job. Now they were helped out by Boston College. Dropped a couple wide open passes. Um, but compared to when I mean, you look at the Missouri game, they give up 500 yards offense in the first half. And you only give up about 200 yards of total offense in yesterday's game. I mean, that, that's just a night and day difference. So, I mean, the defense keep, gets better every week. We saw mm-hmm. it last year. We're seeing it again this year. You know, there's a lot of guys getting, um, you know, really first-time experience out on the field and getting a lot of snaps that didn't play a lot last year. So the, the staff's doing a great job. Obviously, love for the defense, but uh, I mean, I don't think anyone should lose sight of the fact that David Blau has been nothing short of spectacular for two games in a row. Yeah, and coming into this season, and even last year, I mean, you and I were both of the same mindset. Elijah Sindelar's the better guy. He's got the bigger arm. He's doing a better job. David's a good kid, great face for the program, but he just doesn't have the physical ability to run Brahms offense. And I'm not afraid to, to say that I was wrong. And he, he has been unbelievable in these last two games. Uh, arm strength's an issue, but I tell you what, he makes a huge um, throw to the sideline to Rondell Moore to pick up a fourth down late. Yeah. And quite frankly, physically, he's not been able to make consistently at times, but he did it there in crunch time. And I'm going to tell you, he, he won't lose a game for you. No. You know? it, he's not going to lose a game for you. He's he's managing the game well and and uh, he's a, he's he's winning he's a winner. Yeah, and the thing that he's doing really well besides just making decisions is he's throwing the intermediate to deep ball much better than he has in his entire career. Yeah, do you think Purdue. that do you, do you think that the uh, coaching staffs changed the uh, the strategy offensively a little bit? I mean, to to go to more you know quick runs inside between the tackles, short passes. I mean, McCann and Hermans were getting pretty abused yesterday by, by yeah. two really good defensive ends. But I thought Coach Brom did a really nice job of play calling to put guys in positions to be successful. Frankly, well, I think that a lot of it is you look at the personnel at wide receiver. You've got Rondell, Zico, and Terry Wright, and those are all guys who, if they can get the ball in space, make a guy miss, they're home run threats. You know, all of those guys have a lot of speed. And I think that the offense is getting closer to what Coach Brom would like. And I think that he, he understands that if they can get the ball out of David's hands quickly, you know, they don't have 
the offensive line to pass protect against elite pass rushes, and they have seen two very strong pass rushes in the first four games between Northwestern and, and Boston College. They're doing a really nice job of, of continuing to be aggressive. I think that Coach Brom said it best. I think it was after the the Eastern Michigan game. They were too conservative on offense, and some of that was his fault. It was the play calling. It was, okay, we're going to try to use David Blau like he's Lamar Jackson which I've not been a fan of. I don't love that they run David Blau as much as they do. I know he's a good athlete. He's really good at extending the play, but especially with Sindelar hurt right now, you're on like, uh, you know, just off the top of my head, I think at midfield on third and short, they run that quarterback power with Horvath leading the way. And you're Blau getting hit at an awkward angle away from throwing Nick Sipe out there who's never played a collegiate snap of football. Yeah, I don't think anybody wants to see David Blau take more shots, you know. Right. It yeah, doesn't yeah. benefit anyone, David Blau, first and foremost, but any of the rest of the team either. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the one thing I will say, I've been really impressed with Dave. David does such a great job of standing in the pocket and just hanging tough, and he knows he's going to get lit up, and he just delivers the ball down the field. You know, He found Bryson Hopkins a couple times in yeah. key situations where it's chaos around him, and he knows he's going to get blasted, and he just stood in there and made a good throw. Yeah, he's not afraid, that's for sure. Yeah, and and I think that he's obviously got limitations. He's not the, He is not the ideal candidate to run Jeff Brom's offense, and I think that Jeff Brom would tell you that in an honest moment. But he's the guy that they've got, and he's a great leader, and he's really respected by not only his teammates, but by teams around the league. And I, I think that he's, he's the quarterback for this season, in my mind, I think that he's got to be the guy that you roll with unless he gets hurt. Yeah, I don't disagree. You got to dance with the date that brought you, bud. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> he's the date that brought us right now. So, yeah, agreed. And, and I think, and it's not just him. I mean, you look at the offensive weapons around him. DJ Knox is a guy who is running really, really hard right now. Got a little bit more of an opportunity at the end of last year because of the amount of injuries in, in the running back room. And he has done an excellent job of taking that opportunity and, and running with it. I mean, he's the, the cowbell right now. He had 20 carries in yesterday's game. Markel Jones had the second most with eight. Yeah, I mean, Markel Jones has got some real limitations when it comes to speed. You know, you, when you, when you see them try to hit the corner with Markel, he just, it's hard for him. And he's pretty, he runs hard and he's strong, but he's not going to beat you around the edge. And I don't know that we really have anybody right now that will do that. Maybe well, Rondell, maybe Rondell Moore. Say, yeah, it's him. <laughs> and, and we would, we would be remiss if we're not talking about the freshman who, quite frankly, if Purdue is 3-1 and one or 4-0, and oh, is getting some Heisman talk right now. I mean, he's got five touchdowns through four games. He had back-to-back 100-yard receiving games. And it feels like every week he's doing something to embarrass 22-year-old grown men who have been playing, who are elite athletes in their own right, but he's making guys look, look stupid out there. Well, he's a little bit different uh, kind of athlete than what, a lot of us are used to seeing out there in in pads, right? I mean, yeah. Obviously, he's 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 quick. He's got he's got great wheels. He, I mean, both those touchdowns yesterday, he demonstrated that he's strong because he mm-hmm. broke he broke arm tackles, right? Like you're not going to yeah. arm tackle this kid. 
Um, and I'm pretty sure he's not going to get weaker over the next three and a half years. No, probably um, not. He's a whole different class of, of athlete and competitor. I mean, mate, I, I don't know who, who would be close if you go back through the time here and look, who would even be close? Um, just as far as explosiveness in my lifetime as a Purdue fan, the, even the guy who's even closest is Dorian Bryant. And, and he, he wasn't, a, he wasn't physically as strong as this guy is. No. No, and, and he wasn't as shifty. I mean, no. Rondell, Rondell gets gets angles and, and creates plays using his shiftiness that you just can't see. You know, like yeah. just he he makes plays that other guys just physically can't do. Right? Maybe maybe Vinny Sutherland. I mean, Vinny Sutherland's freshman year, they ran the bubble screen to him, and he did some pretty cool things, and he was strong. Yeah, but, but I, I honestly, I think this 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 kid is is a little bit of a new a new thing for all of us. And yeah. I don't think it, he he's not going to be the last one either. Because I'm telling you, there's a whole group of, of players coming that this staff are on in recruiting. And um, there's going to be a significant – there's going to be a sea change in the talent level inside of this program in the next two to three years. Yeah, when you look at the 2019 class, just the guys that are committed right now, I mean – it starts with George Karloftis. I've seen George play a couple times in person, and I've met I've met him like once or twice, and like he does not look like he's eighteen years old. <laughs> like George Karloftis physically could start at defensive end right now as a senior in high school for Purdue. That's quite a statement, isn't it? Yeah, I mean he yeah. is a mammoth of a man. Yeah, and, and the thing that I like, and you just have not seen this with. Uh, recruits in the past in the program and I know that some people don't love that he's as vocal on Twitter as he is but the fact that he is so unabashedly recruiting for Purdue and he's tweeting at guys like David Bell and, and other recruits around the country that he knows Purdue's in on like that guy is he is all about Purdue and he is about that trying be, there should be no mystery to anyone I mean great players want to play with great players it's like yeah. that revelation that's no shocker right I mean, that's always been the case he wants to play with great players why is that bad no it's not i just yeah. think that it's it's different than anything that we've ever seen at purdue and some of that is we're just we're getting to the point now where the 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 recruiting you know the guys that are being recruited to purdue most of them have grown up with the social media era so they're right, just so, far more right. far more effectively effective at using it and far more comfortable right. using it than guys in the past yeah that's a fair statement that's a and, fair statement and the you know the truth is is that the world is smaller now you know because <laughs> of that like you think back to like the baby boilers right you think about Robbie Hummel Jawan Johnson Etwan Moore like those guys if they wanted to get a hold of each other you had to call people you know you had to text you know you didn't have an app in your smartphone that you could search a guy and tweet him and say hey look we're building something special at purdue come play with us kind of yeah thing. it's changed the, it's changed the landscape but to me that's you know when you think about the talent level that's there and what they've done i mean let's be honest year one was a little bit of a shock to everyone yeah. and, and you know revisionist history people might go back and well, I always knew. Hey, no, you didn't always know because I'm going to tell you they were four and six going into Iowa last year. Yeah, and yeah, it didn't it, it, look real good, right? And then so this team jumps up and beats Iowa at Iowa, mm -hmm. you know. And then the IU game, which is always significant, takes on huge significance. 
anybody said they thought this team was going to get six wins and then go and win a bowl game is not being honest. Yeah. Um, and, and so this staff, how good is this staff? This staff is phenomenal because they're doing it with a talent level, frankly, that's not on par with their competition. Yeah. The previous, the previous staff did not recruit well. Um, no. And that's, I mean, that's just an is. You know, they've got mid-level, mid-major talent level in key positions. They're not very deep. Um, they're playing a lot of freshmen in red shirts. Mm-hmm. Um, they're scheme out scheming people. They did it last year. Yes. Um, they're, they're, they're on the verge of doing it again this year. I mean, I understand we're only eight points away from being four and oh and being the story in college football. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, this, this, this coaching staff's really special and they're going to eventually get the type of player and the level of talented player in here that they're looking for. And then man, Katie bar the door. Cause I mean, this, the, the sky is literally going to be the limit with this group. Well, yeah. Rondell Moore is the first of a whole bunch that are coming. Right. And, and here's the thing is like, if let's say, you know, obviously we don't have any sort of expertise when it comes to recruiting, but David Bell is a guy that if they can get David Bell in here, now all of a sudden you're starting to put elite level athletes on the, on the field, on offense, and you're opening up a lot of space and giving whoever is the quarterback of the future a lot of weapons to work with. Yeah, agreed. It's going to be fun. It's going to yeah. be fun. This, this staff is special. This staff is, they're unique, man. And, uh, the investment in them and the facilities, uh, says volumes about what the administration and the board of trustees want. And I, that's exciting to me. It's not been there for a while, right? Right. Well, and, and a lot of that, you got to talk about, that's Mike Babinski yeah. coming in and, and changing the culture. And, and I think uh, Purdue fans, it's been well documented, a lot of people's stance on Morgan Burke and, and how he kind of fell asleep at the wheel, you know, arguably for, Ten years. All right, so let's have some perspective there, though, a little bit, because you know that's something you hear a lot from, you know, rabid Purdue fans, and you know they kind of try and demonize him a little bit. But right. in fairness, when Burke came here, it's not like this was a juggernaut athletic department. I remember it well. Mm-hmm. You know, we're rolling off the Coletto years, which were abysmal. Um, the facilities were way below what was needed uh, from a marketing standpoint, a merchandising standpoint. I think there was like one type of hat you could buy, you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, this this was not like the poster child for a big-time Division One athletic program. And Morgan Burke, to his credit, he did build facilities, and he did begin to change that culture. Um, also, in fairness, I think towards the end, right, ran out of steam a little bit. Yeah. And did not capitalize on the post-tiller years. Yeah, so I, I think Purdue, as a university, and we as fans collectively, we've gotten lucky because I, I really think we've caught lightning in the bottle twice, mm-hmm. right? Joe Tiller was that initially, yeah. and it's pretty rare that you get to do that again, right? You got to get a little bit lucky, maybe in a, yeah. in a hire. And I'm telling you, Jeff Braun is Jeff Braun is is a unique a unique talent, and I think we've caught lightning in the bottle twice, and that's credit to the. Board of Trustees and Bobinski and President Daniels and everyone else, but there's clearly support there, and the culture's changed. All you have to do is be around the place for five minutes, and you can tell. It's a different day and age. 
Yeah, well, I mean, I, and I can I can attest to that because, like I said, you know, working in proximity to the athletic department, I was here. You know, I think I was a sophomore at the end of the Burke era when Bavinsky came in from Georgia Tech, and I, I can just tell you from my sophomore year to my senior year last year, just the way that things were done within the athletic department, it totally changed. Right. You know, it, it was more focused on marketing, and it was the idea of okay, we're going to spend we're going to spend money and resources and certain things, but we're going to be we're going to be elite at it. We're going to be excellent. You know, we're going to we're going to go out and get a get a football coach who is not only a visionary, but is a guy who we feel like can stay here long term. And we're going to go get the type of we're going to let him tell us what he needs to be successful, and then we're going to make that happen. You know, we're going to make sure that we bring his coaching staff in. We're going to make sure that he's got a new football facility, that there's money to to do some things renovation-wise for the athletic, you know, for Ross Aid. And there's just – it's stuff like that that makes a difference, not only in recruiting, but just the long-term future of the program. Because if you're Purdue, you, you have to position yourself where there is zero reason for Jeff Brom to feel like he has to leave Purdue for a better situation. Yeah, there's no reason you can get it done here. You can get it done here, and you can get it done here with class, and you can get it done here the right way. There's no doubt. Yeah. All right, so so we were the lowest of lows the first three games, or the highest of highs after yesterday's game, right? And the truth is, the old saying applies, right? It's never as bad as you think. It's never as good. It's somewhere in between. So where do you think we're at rolling into Nebraska next Saturday? Well, I think think we're in a good place. I think the offense, the offense I don't really feel like, you know, back-to-back performances, they threw the ball a lot. They were more balanced yesterday. I think the offense is probably pretty much in, in the same place that it was even to begin the year. But I think that the the big thing, and this speaks to, and this is more about the youth on the defensive side of the ball, the fact that those guys were able to come in and dominate. I mean, and you can speak to this. You coached young guys. Your seniors typically are a little more even when it comes to understanding, okay, we didn't play well. You know, you're, you're, their confidence doesn't get really affected all that much compared to when you're playing freshmen and you're playing sophomores and you're playing guys who've not played a ton of snaps. Those guys should be riding high and feeling really good headed into Nebraska because they were able to take care of business. Yeah, there's a whole different thing that goes on with college stuff as opposed yeah. to, say, like high school in that um, you know, road trips are a major ordeal, man. Mm-hmm. You know, and going on the road is not is not easy because it's a small village, you know, that a football team takes with them, obviously. And your week is very different as an athlete, as a student athlete. And so for some of these young guys, this is going to be, you know, maybe the first time that they've gone on the road. And it's not like we're just going next door either. Right. It's a little bit right. of a haul out there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how, you know, the young guys adjust to that. Um I think we're catching Nebraska at a really good time. Um, they're, there's no secret. They're struggling. And yeah. That's not an easy place to play. No. But I think we're catching them at a good time. Um, you know, they've got quarterback issues there with consistent quarterback play. You know, the Martinez kid's a true freshman. He's hurt, clearly. Right. Um, Bunch is a walk-on, if I remember right. Yeah. Um, played a little bit against Michigan when they got smacked yesterday. Yeah. Uh, coach Frost is a great coach, but, you know, a lot like Jeff Brom, his offense requires a lot out of a quarterback. And so they've got big question marks there where I tell you on the flip side, Purdue does not. Yeah, I think, and I think, and you and I have talked about this, um, off recording a couple times. 
I think that Purdue and what, uh, Nebraska's situation schematically is in a very similar place where you've got two unbelievably talented and cutting edge coaches offensively that don't quite have their guys yet. Now, Frost might with Adrian Martinez, but like you talked about, he's banged up and he's a freshman. He's going to make mistakes. He's talented in the first half of the um, the Colorado game, their their first actual game they got to play in the season was an indicator of that. He can make plays outside of the pocket. You know, I think a lot of people, you know, he's not McKenzie Milton, you know, at UCF where Frost was at before he came to Nebraska. McKenzie Milton is a transcendent elite college football player. But the ability to make plays athletically and make plays out of the pocket when the play breaks down is something that Scott Frost very clearly is trying to bring to that Nebraska offense. Now, Bunch is probably going to limit them and force them to kind of tailor the offense to be a little more conservative. And, you know, they're in, this, they're in a similar place to Purdue where you think about the first three, four weeks of Purdue season, outside of the Missouri game, the only way that they moved the ball in big chunks was on gadget gimmick plays. It was double reverse flea flickers. It was, you know, it was fake flea yeah. flickers. It was throwbacks throwback screens to the tight end like it was it was not okay we're just going to line up and run the base offense outside of that Missouri game last year like they had to they had to do some things schematically that were kind of weird and they kind of had to think outside the box and and so I think Nebraska is in a similar place but what I do know is that uh, Scott Frost is an unbelievable coach he a lot like Jeff Brom brought almost his entire staff from UCF to Nebraska that team, I think, will be ready to go. Will be ready to play. Even what do we got to do? What do we got to do to win? Well, I think it starts with you have to figure out a way to slow down that offense. Uh, and, and the coaching staff for Purdue has been pretty honest about it, and it's interesting because you don't hear it a lot from coaching staffs, especially in college. You know, Nick Holt's been pretty clear about our offense is built to stop traditional pro-style teams that want to run the football. You know, excuse me, they're going to struggle against teams like Missouri who are going to try to throw the ball and spread people out. And that's what uh, Scott Frost is going to bring to the table. They're not going to line up and power eye like Boston College did and say, all right, we're going to run 25 times into the, we're going to run power, we're going to run stretch plays, we're just going to, you know, try to out manhandle you. They're going to try to spread the field, they're going to throw bubble screens, they're going to use motion, they're going to do some things to try and create advantages, especially when you know you just don't have the talent to line up and, and beat teams in a traditional sense. So we so got to get pressure. We get pressure on quarterback. Yeah, well, and you have to stop the run game, and that's going to be. I mean, that their offense is is really built on blending the play action, the run pass option stuff that you you hear talked about in every broadcast three thousand times a game, even though. Just because a quarterback sticks the ball in the stomach of the running back and then pulls it out and throws it, it doesn't mean it was a run-pass option. Right. You know, the play action is still a, an actual concept in a lot of football games. <laughs> but they, but they, they use a lot of motion and a lot of play action to create eye candy. Honestly, it's not that dissimilar from what Brahms' offense is built on. You watch Jeff Brahms' offense. There's always guys moving. And trying, they're trying to figure out what the defense is doing so that they can dial up the right play call. And I think it's going to be a fun chess match. I think. What, are, what, what do you think the top three things are Purdue's going to do to win next Saturday? 
Well, I think you got to. You have to take care of the football. They have to play a clean game like they did uh, yesterday. They have to get pressure on Bunch somehow. I thought that they did a really nice job of moving Derek Barnes kind of into where Easy Chuku was at last year. Is that is really just a, a fourth linebacker on the field who also pass rushes. And, and I think that the special teams has got to be better than it was last week. I mean, or you know, against Boston College, like you can't be missing put you know. Point, point afters. You can't miss a 20-yard field goal. Like, I get that Spencer Evans was sick, but still, like, you've, you've got to be able to make plays. And it's not like J.D. Dellinger came in and lit the world on fire. He missed a 21-yard field goal. You know, like we didn't, we didn't, we didn't cover downfield very well either, if you go back and look at the game. Yeah. No, the, we spot, we spotted him in a pretty good field position because we just weren't, we weren't containing. Yeah. And I think that there's a there's quite a bit of a, a point to what you're talking about, young guys going into a hostile environment. And you ask anybody in any sport in the Big Ten, they will tell you that Nebraska is always the toughest place to go play because Nebraskans love the University of Nebraska. And they will show up in force to whether it's lacrosse or football. They don't care. Like they're gonna be there to support the Cornhuskers. And so those environments are always going to be tough to play in. Even though Nebraska is off to an awful start, that place is going to be full on Saturday. So ball security, pressure on the QB, and the special teams is what you're saying three keys are. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think ball security always is a key, right? Right. Um, yeah. So I wouldn't obviously wouldn't disagree there. I, I think we got to make Martinez and Bunch make decisions, particularly if Martinez is playing. He's a true freshman. Um, that's a tough situation for him. I think we need to make him uncomfortable. And so the guys up for the big guys up front are going to have to be good. And, you know, Anthony Watts was stellar mm-hmm. yesterday. He was stellar. He had the batted pass that ended up being an interception. And then he got an interception. Um, he, Kiwan Jones, um, Lorenzo Neal, those guys have got to be good. And then for me, I mean, I really think it comes down to some matchups. And that's Kenny Major and Antonio Blackman and what they can do to contain Stanley Morgan Jr. and J.D. Spielman, who are both really good receivers. Yes. Uh, Kenny Major and Antonio Blackman have got to win those battles next Saturday, you know, and so that helps if you got a pass rush, right? Mm-hmm. Cause they don't, they, they don't get out there on an island by themselves for a prolonged period of time, but you know, we need good play out of those guys. The the safeties are going to have to be much better in pass coverage than they've been this year too. Navon yeah. Mosley, Mosley is a junior. At some point, that guy has to figure out that he is responsible in cover two for covering guys who run up the seam. Because yeah, they, it happened, well, that, it the happened. first first touchdown yesterday was uh, was was exactly that, right? They yeah. they, they, blew, they blew the hand off of the guy from going from one zone to the next. Yeah, I mean, Kenny, you can see it on the replay on the broadcast. I mean, Major very clearly is releasing the tight end in the red zone to to Mosley, and he just isn't in the right place. He's too far in the middle of the field, and that's an easy throw. And you can't – you talk about you got to make young quarterbacks and make quick – you know, make decisions. You can't give Martinez or Bunch an easy throw like that. you got to make them try to fit it into tight windows. You just have to. So what's your prediction? I think that I think Purdue has figured something out. You know, I'm looking. We we talked about the guys up front. You know, you talk about Jones, Watts, and and Neal. Right. Neal is Neal's a junior. Anthony Watts is a sophomore, and Kiwan 
Jones is a fifth-year senior. So Jones is the only guy you're going to lose next year. Those young guys are starting to find themselves. I thought Kai Higgins and uh, Giovanni Revere have done a nice job of uh, of continuing to set the edge in the run game. But I think that I think Purdue's going to go in there and get a victory. I don't think that they'll dominate, and I don't think it'll be like the Boston College game. But I could see them going in there and winning by seven points. Yeah, I agree. I think it's a touchdown game, one way or the other, and it really comes down to ball security. Who turns it over last? It's like any sport played with a ball. If you take care of the ball, you're probably going to win. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's a blowout either way. I think we could go in there and win by a touchdown. I think we could go in and lose by a touchdown, too. It really just depends on, on that. Yeah, and I think that as far I mean, in order, let's just talk about the six games, right? And I think that if they win six games, it's an unbelievable success, given the way that they started out the season. They have to win this one in order to, for six games to really even be possible. And even then, it's a long shot. Yeah, because you're going to have to beat Iowa. Yeah. You're going to have to beat Iowa. you got to beat Nebraska. you got to beat Illinois. Take down Minnesota, Indiana. What, and that leaves Iowa. Yeah, well, and... I'm still, I still believe that I think they'll have a legitimate shot to upend Wisconsin. Eh, I don't know. We'll see. I just think that schematically, Nick Holt's defenses are built to slow down teams that are like Boston College that are run first and their quarterbacks are suspect. And there's nobody maybe outside of Wisconsin's locker room that truly believes that Alex Hornibrook can, uh, can, can win a game through the air. Yeah, I'm not sure he'll win a game. He he won't lose it for you, but he I don't know that he can win it for you. Right, and so I think that if they can slow down uh, Jonathan Taylor, which they were able to do outside of one offensive series last year in Madison, right? I think that I think they'll have a chance. Now, obviously, they are a totally different team on defense than they were last year, and they're probably not going to be at any point as good this year as they were last year. But if if they can find a way to get Wisconsin behind schedule. I think that that could be a uh, that could be an upset. So you heard it here first. I'm calling my shot there. I think that that could be an upset for the Boilermakers in Ross. Well, let's not let's not put the cart before a horse. Let's get through next Saturday first and see where we're at. But there's certainly uh, ample uh, reason for op- uh, optimism here. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think that, that young defense is only going to continue to get better. Yeah, I'm super, think, I'm, I'm super impressed with the gains they've made in four weeks, man, with a young yeah. group. And, and I, at some point, I'm hoping, you know, Jeff Brom in the preseason for both back-to-back years now has been pretty upfront about, well, we really feel like the defense is, is going to be pretty good. Yeah. And he's been, he's been right both times. So at some point, it feels like Purdue fans, and I think that some of this is just it's getting used to having a coach that's not Daryl Hazel, where, you know, Hazel's thing was always, well, we're going to look at the tape. We feel like we're just getting ready to turn the corner, and they never did. You know, I think that Jeff Brown's a guy that you can take at his word when, when he's talking about, well, you know, we feel like the defense is going to be better. There's no doubt the man knows football. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, before we uh, end, our, end our first podcast here, we're going to talk a little bit about basketball. Um, obviously, the, the news as of right now is – is the commitment for the 2019 class of Brandon Newman. Uh, Newman is a uh, top 75 guy on the 24-7 sports recruiting rankings. Uh, he's a 6'4", basically a 6'4 combo guard from Valparaiso. 
everything you read about him is he's he's going to be he's an excellent shooter. And uh, you know, I think that similar to football, you're starting to see a different recruiting philosophy from Coach Painter and that staff. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, Brandon Newman's a great pickup. I mean, he mm-hmm. he's he can shoot it. I think uh, if I remember right, he's a forty percent shooter from three last year in high school ranks. Um, mm-hmm. He hit like he hit like five a game. So he's a guy that can can shoot it from long. Um, there's a familiarity there between he and Purdue. You know, his his high school coach at Valpo is uh, Barrett Kuhlman, who coached Bryson Scott at Northrop. Yeah, and I, I remember um, Coach Kuhlman when he was the JV coach there back in the day. So, and then Valpo with you know Robbie Hummel and Scott Martin had had come from there. There's that's a good recruiting ground for for Coach Painter in the program. Um, when you put Newman with Isaiah Thomas and Mason Gillis, man, they've got the core group there. They got the makings of a really good group. Yeah, and I think they're what are they rank? They rank like third in the Big Ten right now. I think so. Uh, and, I'm pulling it up. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they are. And you know, and that take that for what it's worth, right? This is just a one one group's opinion of what potential might be. But you know, if you look at a a guy like Newman, he can shoot it, but he's going to be a really good perimeter defensive guy. And mm-hmm. um, you know, clearly that that is uh, that's a non negotiable with with Coach Painter in the in the program. You, if you're coming here, you're gonna you're gonna learn to defend. Um, and I think he fits that. He's a high IQ guy. Everything you hear. Um, which yeah. is which is huge um, for the culture of the program. Yeah. So that's an exciting pickup. Um, I know there was some mixed emotion about Franklin kid from Cathedral going down to IU. Um, I think that Purdue picked up the better of the two players, frankly. Yeah, I I agree. I think, and I think that it was always going to be a tough sell to get um, between Franklin and. In Newman, because those guys kind of play the same position, and of course, the, I, mean, I don't think at, I don't. My understanding is they didn't want to play together. They didn't yeah. want to go to the same place, well, so it, it was going to be an either or sense. proposition, right? And I think it's because those guys have similar games and they play similar right. positions. And, and sure, as it stands right now, you know, you look at the team to beat in NCAA basketball right now is Villanova with Jay Wright, and they're going to play seven dudes who are all six four and all kind of do the same thing, right? So it's not a deal breaker, but I think that. It was kind of an either-or thing. You know, you look at the recruiting class like you talked about right now. You, obviously, Isaiah Thompson is a guy that has been on Purdue's radar because of P.J. for a long time. Uh, you know, he's a guy who can come in and kind of help run the offense. He's a good scorer, a good shooter. I think Mason Gillis is a kid that it really just kind of depends on his health. You know, he may miss his senior year this year um, with his injury. But yeah, he's, got a knee, he's got a knee situation he's dealing with, right? Yeah, which, I mean, yeah. it may end up, in hindsight, being to the benefit of Purdue. Because I think Gillis is a guy who's getting undervalued because he does have some health issues. And so you're taking a chance on him. But if he can stay healthy, I mean, that's a six six versatile wing player that Purdue, it, and we're going to kind of, this is going to be the transition into talking about Malik Hall, but like, it's pretty obvious that Coach Painter understands that the best way to to be competitive right now is is to to have as many long versatile guys as you possibly can. Yeah, so add Malik Hall into that group, and you now you've got a top ten class, mm-hmm. right? If you can pull him out of Sunrise, 
which, you know, is where Matt Harms went, right? So yeah. there's, you know, and again, what do those rankings really mean? Well, I think it implies raw ability and talent. But, you know, you talk about the recruiting uh, focus for the program. The one thing that sticks out is starting with the 14 class. I mean, they brought a shooter in in every class. The 2014, yeah. you know, Dakota comes in. 15, Klein comes in after him. 17, obviously, is Carson. Um, this year, it's Eric Hunter, right? Yeah. Newman, well, yeah. New, Newman fills that role in the 19 class. So there's a guy that can, is just a knockdown shooter that can score it in right. his classes. If you go back prior to that, there was a couple-year period there um, where that wasn't the case, you know, and, and there are a couple classes back-to-back that didn't pan out. Yeah, and, and, the, and the record and the record showed that back then. Right, and I think that well, here's the thing. If and I know that this is a common sentiment, and a lot of people are divided on it. If you're somebody who truly believes that they should fire Coach Painter, like I don't know what to tell you. You just you're misguided. Like I understand. Look, he's not perfect. Like he's you know, but he he's not even fifty yet. And in the coaching ranks, that's young. I mean, he's still a really young coach. He, I mean, I don't know. They went from, you know, they were, they were bad. Like, let's call it what it is. They were bad for two years, right? With the Johnson brothers and they brought in a lot of talent, but they just weren't, it wasn't the culture that was built to succeed. And, and coach pulled them out of a nosedive and they won 30 games last year after they lost an uh, all American. Like, I don't, I mean, look, we can argue about the, the NCAA tournament stuff and, and whether or not they'll ever be able to make a run a national title. But let's stop pretending like Coach Painter isn't an elite coach in college basketball. Well, I think he's great. He does it with class. He does it the right way. Uh, guys on the floor that represent the university in a way that everybody can be proud of. I, I wouldn't, you know, let's not forget that fan is short for fanatic. Okay. Right. Yeah. Number one. Um, Two, um, let's try not to forget that if Robbie Hummel doesn't get hurt, they'd probably go to the Final Four and maybe win that thing. And now, now all the naysayers, it's a totally different conversation here. And, you know, I don't know that uh, a Final Four appearance necessarily should be the benchmark for, you know, are you good or not? Because given that, then I guess Rick Pitino is, uh, should be lionized. And I, I'm not sure that anyone wants to try and defend or justify his behavior over the years, and certainly not today. Yeah. Right. And I think, so, I mean, it, I, you don't, you don't ever have to worry about that at right. Purdue. You'll never have to worry about that here. Yeah. And, and look, I have maybe those teams underperformed in March. Yeah, probably. That's a fair statement. But I think that once again, you go back to this is a, I mean, he's a head coach who's, who's still pretty young. I mean, he's been at Purdue for a while, but he's, a, I mean, I think he just turned 50. Like, I mean, you look at, look at the, the, you know, the coaches that are at the top tier of, of NCAA basketball right now, you're talking about Coach K, Bill Self, Izzo, you know, you know, Coach Roy Williams at UNC, Jay Wright at Villanova. Those guys are, are guys who, you know, Jay Wright's been at Villanova for a long time before they were able to finally have the amount of success that they've had now. Yeah, we're fortunate. I mean, we, we're fortunate to have him. I think he does a great job. I really like him as a coach, and you know, even on a personal level. But there is definitely been a, a shift in um, the type of player. I mean, you're talking about quote-unquote Purdue guys, which are guys that are hard-nosed. 
that have work ethic that will defend number one, right? But there's more athletic ability in these groups that are coming than than traditionally what has been there, and it's a different style. It's going to be more of a perimeter oriented style. You know, the day of the seven foot guy back to the basket player in basketball period is yeah. is is a bit past us. You know, the best player in the NBA right now is essentially Carl Malone that plays point guard in LeBron. Right. Yeah, okay. absolutely. So the game, the game's different. Players yeah. are different. Um, I think that there's definitely a focus to bring in long guys that are rangy, that can shoot it, and that will defend. And they're going to play a little differently for in the next several years. I think it's going to be really exciting. Well, I think you're going to see it this year to start. But let's just, you know, hypothetically, let's say they're able to land Malik Hall, right? Yeah. Well, you look at next year's roster then with Gillis, you've got four guys that are going to be six, eight or, ta- or, or, you know, are going to be around six, eight wing foot players with Hall, Gillis, um, Aaron Wheeler, and, and then Evan Boudreau. Mm-hmm. Like that. Well, if you, if you, if you can switch one through five, right, that's a yeah. huge advantage. Right. And then well, offensively, if you got five guys that can, can, that are skilled, mm-hmm. that can score the ball. Well, good luck. Who are you going to help off of? You know? Right. Well, and that doesn't even include Nogel, who may right. very well be closer to six seven than he is six six. And Nogel may never be able to shoot the ball. Probably he's never going to be able to shoot the ball. Well, you and I talked about this. I think he's really right-handed. Uh, he, pro- yeah, I think so too. I think if I you do. watch, if you watch him when he shoots floaters or when he attacks the basket, it's with his right hand. Yeah, I think the dude's right-handed. I really do. <laughs> and so he he's probably not shooting with his you know his dominant hand, which I mean that's that's not uncommon, you know like you you know you think about a guy like Phil Mickelson who is actually right-handed but swings a golf club left-handed like you know people have overcome it before, but it is definitely more difficult to shoot the ball. But it, you don't need him to shoot the ball. What you need Nogel to do is what he did against Penn State when Tony Carr is eating point guards alive in the Big Ten and then almost gets into a fight with Nogel because now he's playing against a dude who's as physical as he is and is more athletic than he is. And you just need Nogel to shut guards down and and have some flexibility defensively. So to get back to recruiting, I think that we're bringing in a bunch of guys that fit that kind of profile. Yeah. You know, there's six, seven, six, eight guys that, you know, are athletic and they can defend and they're skilled. Well, even if you look at um, the last year's class, you think about guys like Dawana. I mean, Dawana is a totally different type of big man. Even Matt Harms. I mean, these are guys that are that are just athletically different than what Purdue has been able to go get. You know, like Isaac Haas was a was a banger. You know, that was a dude who's going to play on the block. Like every anybody who has watched Purdue basketball long enough and has. Uh, even a basic understanding of the game knows that the way you beat Purdue when Isaac Haas was on the floor was just pick and roll and get him in space, and he just wasn't physically able to defend. Well, that changes yeah. with that changes. B, with B, beeline was the B, beeline was the first guy to figure out what to do there because they they quit doubling down into Isaac and they basically said the big guy will not beat us by himself, but we're not going to let the team just shoot like crazy from the three. Yeah, and when you add Matt Harms, and you saw it uh, in the tournament game against Butler, but he added just a different dimension, not only in the shot blocking, but just the ability to pick and roll, catch the ball, and in one fluid athletic motion finish. 
and he's only going to get better because, you know, you talk about that 2014 class, which was the class that, you know, I came into Purdue with. Those guys all got better from the time that they were freshmen to the time they were seniors. You know, say what you want about the coaching staff, you know, and Coach Painter. He's unbelievable at developing guys once they get into the program. So, you know, these dudes are only going to get better. You know, Matt Harms is only going to take a step forward. You yeah. Know, there's a lot of potential for them to, to be they're really, really good. Yeah, they're going to be fun to watch. The next several years is going to be fun to watch. Yeah, and, you know, obviously this year we may see Carson Edwards just go for 43 or four times. They're going to need him to score volume. And be efficient about it. Yeah. Also, some uh, some late breaking football news here. As I've got um, I've got this NFL on. Uh, congratulations to Drew Brees for breaking the all time completions record. Uh, you know, continuing to be a an, a former Purdue player that I think everyone throughout the fan base is extremely proud of. The man's a Hall of Famer. Yeah, I mean he's a he is an absolute legend, not only at Purdue but also in the NFL. And has been incredibly supportive, I think. And I think that's the biggest thing, is not only is he a great player, but he's just been so supportive of Purdue Athletics. And he's been, you know, whether it's, you know, he and his wife's donation for the the, the academic center that's across from uh, Ross Aid and Mackey, to just even just being there and being, you know, a public face that, you know, you talk about, and this, you know, Purdue when you talk to people outside of the state of Indiana, you know, Purdue is considered to be a, a, a prestigious academic institution. And it is, but I think that that hurts in recruiting sometimes because you have guys who, you know, guys and girls, regardless of the sport that you're recruiting, they, they don't know that they can handle the academic rigors and you, know, you get, or they just don't know, they don't know much about Purdue. And I think some of that's the marketing that we talked, touched on briefly with the athletic department. But also, you know, you get a guy like Drew Brees who is smart and absolutely was capable of succeeding academically, but also athletically. Now Purdue starts to become more of a household name, you know, across the country. Yeah, the university certainly is fortunate to have him here as a player and they're even more fortunate to have him as an alumni. He's a great ambassador. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Okay. What else? Um, well, I think that we've pretty much covered everything here in our uh, our first podcast. Um, I hope that uh, you enjoyed yourself. Yeah, and hopefully, the, you know, there's somebody out there that wants to listen to it. Maybe thinks we know a little bit of what we're talking about. Or then again, maybe not. <laughs> yeah, uh, you never know. So, um, you know, if you are listening, thank you for uh, for tuning in. We have continued to try to do this on a weekly basis. Uh, we're going to get a Twitter account and a, a Facebook account up and running Monday morning boilers. Uh, we'll, we'll announce that once we have it up and, and running. Uh, be looking for podcasts. Like I said, you know, we're going to try to put it out on Spotify, SoundCloud, and, and iTunes. Uh, you know, you and I are both, uh, have iPhones, so we're not really familiar with what the, the, the Android users are using, but we don't want to uh, exclude anybody. So once again, like if you're, if you're looking, uh, and you can't find it, and if there's another platform that we're not putting it out on, reach out to us on Facebook or on Twitter. Say, hey, you know, if you could put it on this platform, that'd be great, and, and we'll do what we can to, to try and get it out to everyone. 
Sounds great. All right. Until next week, boiler up. Yep. And hammer down.